Okay, now, just for a warning, once again, as stated in the beginning of the message, I'm going to remind you, this message is a message with some pretty heavy content that is not appropriate for young ears. So, if you do have young ones about, once again, this is a reminder to be listening either to this message in private or get the young ones out of sound range, please. Okay, now we just got done discussing Jesus having breasts and the heavenly angels in their spiritual bodies, both Jesus and the angels in their heavenly bodies having breasts. Well, now, and then I mentioned that we're going to connect it with this very point here. Well, I'll do the connection after I first give you the first three comparative verses here. These three comparative verses in this heading on the milk of the word. That's what this heading is about. The milk of the word. The milk of the word. The first is found, the first text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. The next about the milk of the word, the next text about the milk of the word is found in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And our last text about the milk of the word is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Okay. Now, let me make the connection between our last point and this one. And how you get the milk. First off, what is the milk of the word? The milk of the word is when you're being taught the Bible. See, Hebrews lays it out very plain. It tells you when you are being taught. See, when, you're, when you are the teacher, when you are the teacher, you are the one, obviously, in order to teach, you have to get more than just milk. You need meat. You, meet, you need deeper things of the Bible than just milk. You need some deep, heavy stuff in the Bible to get you through. You cannot deal with just small stuff to get you through. You need some pretty heavy stuff in order to teach others. That's called meat. Why? Because you've grown up, and now you can feed others. 
Just like an adult mama cannot feed a baby from her breasts and give them her breast milk unless she's grown up. It's obvious. Now, what is the Word of God? The Word of God is the Bible. Where did we get it? From God. It's called the Word of God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John 1, 1 and 2. Okay? Now, so who was that? It was Jesus. Are you getting the connection? The connection is this. Jesus spiritually... Notice the key word I said that spiritually through the Holy Spirit and through his teachers, Hebrews chapter five, verses 12 and 13, through his teachers, the ones that have grown up. That are now eating spiritual meat. Those people are the ones that are now Feeding, breastfeeding those that are infants in the word. And how are they breastfeeding them? Through Jesus, quote, breasts, unquote. They are the ones that are lifting those little ones up and putting them to Jesus' breast to literally give them the, quote, milk. What milk? God's milk. Milk of the word. What word? Word of God. Are you getting the connection here? It's not my word. It's not another preacher's word. It should not be another preacher's word. It should be Christ's word. Just like in this message, I've over and over again said, Let's see what the Bible has to say. Over and over again, I have said, no, Dr. Broadbottom, and no, the you students at Baylor University. Why? Because we are not going to follow what they had to say. I don't care what they've said for thousands of years. Why? Because it's all a bunch of traditions. No, we are going to follow what the Bible had to say cover to cover. Why? It is the Word. And what am I doing? I am teaching you what the Word of God says. Now, in order for me to teach, you're going to have to get the milk of the Word. I'm going to have to lift you up to Jesus' breast, stick your mouth on His nipple, and you're going to have to suck his, the milk of the Word out and get fed. Now, if you don't want that kind of milk... You don't want to be fed. Don't blame me. Hey, if you want, you want, uh, you want the baby bottle and the nipple. If you want artificial food, don't blame me. That's why you go to Doctor Broadbottom at Baylor University because he gives you formula. It ain't the real McCoy. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why you end up with the ASV, the awful satanic vomit. 
NASV, nasty, awful, satanic vomit. NIV, never inspired vomit. Or nutty idiots vomit. The Living Bible, that junk, that ain't living, that's dead as a doornail. That thing should have been buried and burnt a long time ago. Amen. NKJV, nutty kids just vomit. That's what that is. That ain't the new King James. That's just nutty kids just vomit. That's it. If it ain't the 1611, it ain't Bible. Amen. Amen. And amen. Okay. Now it's time for a point that we covered in part one. And I know you've been hearing me now talking about breastfeeding. And way at the beginning of all this set of discs, you heard me mention about adult breastfeeding. Well, you're about to find out in the Bible it was actually encouraged. I know you're all going to say, What? For sure. Yep. It was actually encouraged. The Bible backs it up. And it was in the book. It wasn't just for babies. Now it's time to blow the cork out of the water and blow your little theological boat right out of the water, Dr. Broadbottom. But it's time. Not for just babies, but here it is. When the land is healthy and there's enough milk in the breasts, adult breastfeeding was encouraged as a part of a husband and wife's relationship. And here it is. Let's read it in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Okay, now as many know, King Solomon was the one who wrote the book of Proverbs. Now, notice what he says in this chapter. He says, drink waters out of thy own, and he didn't say fountain, singular. He said fountains, plural. 
How many breasts does one woman have? Come on. Jeopardy time, Dr. Broadbottom. Dumb, dumb, dumb. You're so dumb, dumb, dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. You're a dummy. Of course you are. She has two breasts. Doofus. Drink waters out of thy own fountains. <laughs> Duh. And it goes on to say, let them be blessed. Let them be your own. Drink out of your own. And don't embrace the bosom. Now, come on. If you're going to drink from a fountain and you're going to embrace the bosom of the wife of your youth, where is your head? Duh! It don't take rocket science to figure out where your mouth is. If you're drinking a liquid from your wife, and she's your own, your mouth must be on her nipple. On one of her nipples, and you're drinking her milk. And if you're an adult, and she's an adult, it's obviously talking about adult breastfeeding. And if you're her husband, and she's your wife, you're both adults, or you wouldn't be married. And she would not be your wife. Duh. I mean, this don't take rocket science to figure this one out. But obviously, remember, throughout this series, we figured this much out. That's why I had to teach, because Dr. Broadbottom hasn't even learned how to read yet. He hasn't even learned what A, B, C, D, E, F, G is yet. He hasn't learned it. Obviously... The husband has got his mouth on his wife's nipple, and he's sucking her breasts. He's engaged in adult breastfeeding or an adult breastfeeding relationship, also known as adult nursing relationships. That's what he's engaged in. So, simple enough. You just need to open your Bible, read it, and weep. Okay, now here comes another familiar text from part one, but we're going to bring it back in. Part two, it is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Okay, 
here we go, back to the famous, as some people dub it, the love chapter. But in all honest, this is the agape love chapter. This is talking about agape love. This is not the kind of love we in the United States uh, smear around. We wouldn't even know the meaning of agape love, not in the United States. Because we don't even come close. We wouldn't know love if it ran up and beat, bit us on the seat of the pants, okay? Agape love, look at what it says here, some of its traits. First off, it's not selfish. And I'm just not even going to touch on all of them. Especially, I'm going to hit on just some of the traits here that are in, in reference to the message that I'm trying to point out here. They go back to point to my first part and come to this point. First off, it's not selfish or self-centered. It doesn't think of mm, like it's in a choir. Me, 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 me. Or me, 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 me. You know, thinking of the woman thinking of just herself or the man thinking of just their self. Okay? All I want to do is just for me. I don't care about you, honey. I care only about me. I want all the money for me. I want all the uh, fun for me. And I don't give a rip about you. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care if you sit around and do nothing all day. I don't care about you. I care about me. Just me. 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 Poor little me. No matter what the other person thinks or feels or whatever they're doing, I only care about me. No. Uh, true agape love or the kind of love you would find in heaven or what God's people is supposed to experience is not selfish. It's not self-centered. doesn't think that way. It, if anything, it's just the opposite. It thinks of you, 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 first. And I am somewhere about eight millionth down the road. Just like Jesus did when he died on the cross. Who was he thinking of? God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You notice how many they's were in there? He didn't even put himself in that. Not one time did he say one word about himself, even though he was suffering in agony. Not one time did he mention himself in there. He had the Father's name in there, and he had the other people in there, but not once himself. That's selfish, so I should say selfless love, agape love. It vaunteth not itself. That means it's not puffed up, but not selfish. It says, also, it's not self-seeking. It endures all things. It'll put up with whatever it takes. Not for me, but for you. It thinks of you. 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 Just like Jesus, he was willing to endure the cross for you. To get you saved endures all things. It hopes all things. Not for me, but for you. 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 
See, it's all about you. It's a giving love. So what is my point in part two? Just like part one. If your partner, if your partner had a situation where you were down and out and they needed a second partner, like I said, for example, if the person, for example, you were sick enough that you had to, you and your husband, say, for example, you and your, let's say you and your wife, men, you went to war, men, you went to war, and all of a sudden you're white, you went to war, and you stepped on a landmine, you lost both your legs, and you, well, you became a eunuch, because you lost your legs and your hips, okay? And well, you know, your manhood, as they say, you no longer got your manhood, okay? You're a eunuch. But your wife don't want to divorce you just because you lost your manhood. She still loves you. But what are you going to do? Make her into a nun? Because you came home, you're 27. She's 25, and you guys married at age 20. And you've been, and you were already sexually active for, let's say, three years before you went to war. And you, and you were at war for two years. And she had been, she had patiently waited for you for two. And then now all of a sudden you come back. And all of a sudden now, here, all of a sudden, she co you come home from the hospital and you ain't got nothing to give her. No. Love truly would be. Oh, I know some people would say in the Christian church, oh, well, you could masturbate her with your hand, and that would be good enough. Yeah, you could for her. But what if she wanted a child? And what if you guys can't afford to go get in vitro and can't afford to adopt? Huh? I suppose... You're just going to let her suffer the fact that she ain't going to have a child. But she'd really badly like to have one. See, the Bible made a way. A natural way. Now, also, the Bible has it that women were supposed to, and scientifically, it has been proven that whether they've been pregnant or not, that their breast can and do produce milk, whether they've been pregnant or not. And sorry to say, even men's do. So adult breastfeeding, there is not a problem with that, and that has nothing to do with sex. But you know what? That close, intimate bond between husband and wives have totally went <laughs> down the toilet. Why? Because, well, we don't want to give of ourselves that way. That's too close. That takes too much time. Oh, we don't want to take the time to be with each other that much. We got a career. We got to have the green golden idol called money. But according to 1 Corinthians, 
the true agape love gives. We'll give of the breasts to each other. We'll give our bodies to each other. Why? Because it is selfless. It is a giving love. It endures everything. It gives everything. It hopes everything. Amen. Amen. And amen. Okay, now, going on this same thought process, let's continue. The fact is, the Bible makes it plain that when... Um, it didn't say any gender specifically. It said basically when a person was nursing a baby or whatever, when the breasts, period, were nursing, they were blessed. It was classified the blessing of the breasts. Blessing of the breasts. Now look at the text. Genesis chapter 49, verses 25 and 26. Genesis chapter 49, verses 25 and 26. Genesis 49, 25 and 26. Genesis chapter 49, verses 25 and 26. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. <sighs> now, do you notice something interesting here? It says, blessings of the breasts and blessings of the womb. Now, why is it that they separated the two? Because God knew that the breasts come both on male and female, while the womb is only on one gender. That's why they're called womb man. Because she is the one, she is a Man with a womb. A womb man. She's a female because of the fact that she has the womb. And if you don't believe that, if you took off the lower sex organs, both internally and externally, go check with a doctor. If you don't believe this, you take away the external and internal sex organs. The internal organs of the female, the uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries, okay? Uterus, the whole kitten caboodle. You sew that up. And then you take the male, take and get rid of the penis, testicles, Vas deferens, prostate, take all that out, and you leave both with just a bladder and a urethra, and guess what you got? 
They're both identical in every way. And if the woman's breast, if a man's breasts are enlarged with gynecomastia, he would look exactly like a female on the outside. See, the difference is, the only difference is the lower sexual organs. The only reason that a, a man would end up with breasts is because of the hormones, hormone estrogen that makes the breast enlarge. And some other medications that cause that side effect. Has nothing to do with the lower sex organs, okay? Now... If you noticed here, it said blessings of the breasts. Now, the breasts in both sexes are capable of producing milk. So it has nothing to do with the gender. But only one gender could produce a child. Only one gender could bear a child. I should say, not produce. They both together require are required to produce that child. You have to have the male sperm and the female egg to produce that child, but only one can bear that child in the womb. It's the female. She has the equipment to bear that child. But both genders can nurse the child at the breast. So, just to clarify the record... Just to clarify it, the blessing of the breast is for both genders, while the blessing of the womb was given from God to the woman if she obeyed God. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, here comes another text that will look remotely familiar. It has to do with the purity of the creation of man. That's found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, I know what most of you are going to start saying right now. Well, you know, that breastfeeding thing was never done in the Garden of Eden. Well, excuse me, hold your bus. I got a question for you. I got a good question for you. Were Adam and Eve created perfect at the beginning? Head scratching time again, Dr. Rod Bottom and you students at Baylor University. Come on. Come on, scratch them heads again. 
Yes, they were. So, did they have perfect hormones? Yes. Did they have perfect bodies? Yes. Did they have perfect emotions? Yes. Did they have everything perfect? You better believe it. So when they were walking in that garden, you can guarantee there was no problem between Adam and Eve. They loved each other. And I can guarantee you, it doesn't say that he suckled her breast, but probably did. Remember, he found her immediately delightful. How do we know this? He had already looked at all of the animals of creation. Uh, that goes to take care of that bestiality thing that we just looked at earlier. Now imagine the scene that we just saw earlier in the chapter. God sent all the animals parading by to see if he could find Adam a, a proper mate. They didn't even have names. and they, Can you imagine this long parade of animals? And they didn't even have a name yet. And God said, God gave Adam the privilege, because he's the only one in the garden at the time. And he says, okay, Adam, whatever you call him, that's going to be the name. So all of a sudden, this giraffe comes parading by, and God says, what are you going to call that? And he says, I'm going to call it a giraffe. God says, why a giraffe? Well, that's the closest thing to a giraffe I've seen around here. Next come along, hippopotamus. He says, I'm going to call that hippopotamus. He says, why a hippopotamus? That's the closest thing to a hippopotamus I see around here. Okay, we'll call it a hippopotamus. And on and on it went. And that's how each of the animals in their groups got their names. Now, but after Adam went through every last species, right down to the little worms and the ants and snails and all of that, not one animal caught Adam's eye. And yes, sorry, Dr. Broadbottom over there at Baylor University, uh, even the monkey didn't even catch his eye. So obviously it wasn't interspecies with the monkey. That's why you all act like a bunch of monkeys because you thought you were swinging out of the trees. Sorry, it didn't cut it. Even the monkey didn't catch Adam's eye. He said, that's a monkey. He knew I'm monkeying around with that. Didn't even catch his eye. Didn't interest him. So God put a sleep on him. Took one of his ribs. Did the first surgery. Created a woman. Now. You can guarantee, as you know, every species always look the male looks very much like the female. Very much like that. And then it's interesting that all of a sudden Adam's eyes bugged out. You can guarantee they must have, because what does he say? He didn't say this is Eve. He said, he said, this is bone of my bone, this flesh of my he knew that was his wife. So she will be called woman because she was taken out. He knew that she was taken from him. And you can guarantee he didn't have a scar after that surgery. So he, he had no clue that God had 
done the surgery, but he already knew that that was his wife. He knew that that was his bone of his bone. Now, I said this before, I say it again, men, she was not taken from your foot bone to be stomped on. She wasn't taken from your hand bone to be slapped about, not from your elbow to be whacked in the side at, not from your knee to be kneed in the butt. No, she was taken from your rib, under your arm to be protected, and close to your heart to be loved. Now, get that through your thick skull. And she sure wasn't taken from your jaw bone for you to be harping at every five minutes. Amen. Now, and women, you were taken from his rib. That means you, you weren't taken from his, his jawbone for you to nag at him either. Amen. You better get that straight too. You're taken from his rib. That means you're supposed to be loving him back. Now, you guarantee how did the little babies of Adam and Eve learn to suckle? I'll tell you how. Because Adam was already doing it. That's how. Adam was already doing it to his wife. And she was probably doing it to him. And thus, they were already loving each other. Because why do you think that God had let them be naked? Because that way they had access to each other's bodies. There's nothing wrong with being naked in your own home with each other and loving each other. Now, of course, I do respect modesty outside the home for a husband and wife. But in your own home, when you're by yourselves, this thing of always trying to cover up away from each other, come off of it. Nothing wrong with Showing each other that you love each other and that you want each other. The problem is sometimes we cover a little bit too much up from each other. And, and then, but we'll go outside and show off everything to everybody else. No wonder uh, there's adultery and fornication. Come on. Amen. Amen. And amen. Okay, now we have three comparative scriptures about those who are suckling the breast, and we're not talking about infants, but those who are suckling the breasts. We'll find out who they are. Those who are suckling the breast. The first is found in 1 Samuel 15 and 3. 1 Samuel 15 and 3. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 3. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. The second reference is found in Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 7. Jeremiah 44 and verse 7. Therefore now, thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, Wherefore commit ye this great evil against your souls, to cut off from you man and woman, child and suckling out of Judah, to leave you none to remain. And finally, we go to Joel chapter 2, verse 16. Joel chapter 2, verse 16. Joel chapter 2, and verse 16. 
Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. <laughs> now, do you catch this? Two of our texts, it just says suckling. But who are those that are suckling? Joel 2 tells us. It says, those, it says, gather the people and those that suck the breast. Who are they? It doesn't give a gender, now does it? Well, Dr. Broadbottom and you students at Baylor University, start scratching. And do it really hard. Because it does not say a gender. It doesn't say that it's only men suckling little babies, little infant girls or little infant boys suckling mama's breast. Nope. Not in that verse at all. Nor does this inf uh, denote cattle suckling the breast. No, this is talking about, though, obviously, it's somebody who can understand the word being taught to them. So, obviously, these are adults as well. Hello? So, adult breastfeeding here as well is being taught and saying, bring them by. Bring them on. And later, we're going to find out why this is so important that we are emphasizing this point because in the last days, there's a very critical point about adult breastfeeding that's going to, that most people skip right over the top of and miss it. And in the last days, Jesus made a very critical point about that. And we're going to find out about it coming up very, very soon. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, speaking of an end times or last days prophecy, how about this one? We were promised by God, those of us who are saved, that we would suck the breast milk of the Gentiles and kings. Yes. Now, think about that one. And it didn't say which gender we would be when we do it. Where is this found? Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 16. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 16. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 16. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and shalt suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer the mighty one of Jacob. <laughs> Dr. Broadbottom, and you students at Baylor University, you've been so busy worshiping Baal and Confucius and all those other cult gods, you didn't have time to study your King James, did you? Obviously not. Because not one word in here about it being little babies, suckling, the king's breasts, and most kings are not female. Hmm. I want you to think on that one. Most kings 
are which gender? Head scratching time. Isn't that interesting? Obviously, those kings are going to have gynecomastia. They're going to be men. And they're going to have breast milk. Hello. And God said it would happen in the last days. So, open your Bible, read it, and weep. Okay, now our next heading kind of gives us some interesting information. There are six comparative texts about this. And you know what Jesus and also the whole Bible tells us in six comparative texts? It warns us something very unique that most people don't even tell us. You don't hear preachers preach on this about the last days. But one warning is given about the end times, the last days. How many preachers have you ever heard preach on this one? In the last days, there would be dry breasts. Dry breasts. In short, milk. Breasts without milk. Well, let's first look at the six comparative texts, and then we'll get into preaching on this. And I suggest, once again, that you remember the warning at the beginning of these discs, of each disc that warns you to have the little ones out of sound range. The first comparative text is found in Matthew 20, chapter 24, verse 19. Matthew chapter 24, verse 19, Matthew chapter 24, and verse 19. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Our second text about dry breasts in the last days is found in Mark chapter 13, verse 17, Mark chapter 13, verse 17, Mark chapter 13, and verse 17. But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. The third text about dry breasts in the last days is found in Luke chapter 21, verse 23. Luke chapter 21, verse 23. Luke chapter 21, and verse 23. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. For our fourth text, we stay in the book of Luke, but go to chapter 23, verses 27 to 30. Luke chapter 23, verses 27 to 30. Luke chapter 23, verses 27 through 30. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. Our 
fifth of the six scriptures about dry breasts are found in Isaiah chapter 32, verses 9 through 15. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 9 through 15. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 9 through 15. Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall ye be troubled, ye careless women. For the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare, and gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the teats, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city, because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left, the forts and towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. And finally, the sixth of the six scriptures about dry breasts in the last days, is found in Hosea, the book of Hosea, chapter 9, verse 14. Hosea chapter 9 and verse 14. Hosea chapter 9 and verse 14. Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. Oh, boy. All right, Dr. Broadbottom. And all you students at Baylor University worshiping Baal, time to get out your armored suit of steel again, because here I come with the sword of the spirit. Time to get wounded, because it's time for war! You know what? You guys are so stupid, especially you, Dr. Broadbottom. Once again, I wonder how you ever got a doctorate. You know, there are three words used. Okay. If a person has this thing on the front driver's side of his car, it's round, it's rubber, filled with air, with tread on it, it's black, but it says on the side of it, Goodyear. Now he's got one on the front passenger side of its car, filled with air, round, rubber, it's got tread on it, but it says, Michelin, and one on the back right passenger side, that says round, it's rubber, with tread filled with air, and it says Firestone, what's the difference? Even though they're all the same size and everything. You say nothing, they're just name brands. Well, let me give you a pointer here. Isaiah, the scripture in Isaiah 32, 9 through 15, said teats, T-I-T-S, teats, or tits. You know, modern day people use that word. So don't go and say, oh, he's using bad language. Shut up, okay? Another text said breasts. 
or breast. And Jesus said in math in Luke chapter 23, Paps, as well as Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 verse 13 was described as having Paps. All synonymous. And if you look at Luke 13, 23, it says, The paps that did not give suck. Those are all the same thing. Described as the same thing. Those are breasts. Now, let's give a connection to the last days. Something that's never been preached. Like I said, hopefully, you ain't got the young ones about. Now, we're not going to get too graphic, but something that's interesting. For those that love prophecy, my wife will love this part when she listens to the sermon. How many of you, Dr. Broadbottom and you students, have you ever preached this part? Oh, you love to preach about Daniel's 70th week, and you love to preach all this other stuff, and you like to preach about Sodom and Gomorrah, and you love to preach about homosexuality. That's all nice and fine. Huh. But not one of you have made a connection between the rapid growth of baby formula on the shelves at the supermarket and the rapid decline of women breastfeeding to the end times. I hope you're scratching heads. Go look at your supermarket shelves and look at the big chunks of areas that had to do with baby formula. Huh? And then go back to our text. Six of them deal strictly with the fact that people would not be breastfeeding in the last days. And what's interesting is, four of those texts came right out of the mouth of Jesus himself. Hmm. Are you scratching your head yet? Now, why do you suppose he said that? I'll tell you why. Because we got so stinking self-centered, so worried about ourselves that we wasn't going to breastfeed. Number two. Number two, the reason that it was going to happen was, you look, it said the pale horse of famine would come about. And when that pale horse of famine came, what would happen? Breasts would dry up. Hmm. All of a sudden, there's a connection, isn't there? When you have famine, remember back to milk and honey. When there's plenty, the breasts have more milk. When there's not, breasts dry up. But do you also remember what Solomon said? We were supposed to, in our marriages, we were supposed to want to breastfeed. 
all of a sudden we don't want to anymore. Well, it's tacky. See, that's our problem. See, we don't even want to breastfeed our babies, let alone our husbands. Women don't want to breastfeed our husbands. See, it used to be that not only the women breastfed, but the husbands did. But now all of a sudden it's tacky. Oh, let's go get the cow to do all the work for us. Let's go get it uh, pasteurized and homogenized and all this garbage. Let's go get it out of the refrigerator. That's more dignified. Let's go get the baby formula. That's more dignified. You dirty, rotten reprobate. What you are is that the problem. You're an animal. Because you'd rather have some dumb cow do the work for you because you're an animal. But it's the same chemical properties. But the only problem is you forgot something about that cow's milk. It doesn't have the antibodies. There's the only difference about it. When it's been pasteurized, it loses all the antibodies that are important to that baby's well-being that the human breast milk has. Any doctor will verify that to you. Why do you think that you got to have immunization shots? And for those of you who are Christians, it's been reported that those immunization shots are primarily made up of aborted babies. That, the, that the, the baseline part of that shot is made from aborted babies. So you're actually supporting, you're supporting abortion and murder, you dirty scumbag, you. Supporting somebody to go and kill their baby just so you can have immunizations. Why don't you just go and kill some innocent child? Or better yet, why don't you just put a gun to your own head if you like killing so much? Knowing you, you probably would, you dirty scumbag. Yes, sir, you would. And you know it if you had half the chance. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, now we're going to get into, as a kind of final thought, we want, I want to take us through one of the most interesting books. I want us to go through the whole book. Is a love, kind of a love poem, or in this case, some people, they, in the modern church, especially Dr. Broad Bottom, and his students at Baylor University. Now, you can do this. You could look at it as and turn it into the modern-day church. But I don't want to do that. Not in this sense. And as we do, I ask you again to be sure you have the little ones out of sound range because I don't want to look at it as the modern-day church. I want to look at it as the love letters that it is. This is the song, the book of the Song of Solomon, 
or some say the Song of Songs. Because it's a love letter, if you will, love letters, between Solomon and some say his most beloved wife. And if you read it as, for once in your life, I want you to read it as it was written between the two, back and forth like a bunch of love letters, like if you have your, your own wife, or maybe you're, you're dating right now. And those who, especially my good friend who has asked me to originally start this journey about marriage and sex, when you're listening to this, I want you to, this time, read it as a love letter, okay, between Solomon and his beloved wife. We're going to read it as love letters, and we're going to break it apart into those love letters and see what each person had to say about each other, and let's, there are only certain points that I want to bring out that are more important and other points, we're just going to go on. But I want us to get mainly the most important points. The first point I want us to look at is, first, the wife. She kicks it off. She starts the love letter in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savour of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? All right. Now, as you could see, that was a basic love note from her to Solomon. Now, we kind of continue with the thought, but this time it's his turn. Solomon writes a love note, basically, to her, starting in verse 8, going to verse 11. So, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 8 to 11, is his love note to her. So, the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock, and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. 
We will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. Now, her turn again in the book of the Song of Solomon. We go to, it is her turn for her love note. And this one I want you to pay attention to, really pay attention to. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. All right, now. When you look at those verses there that you just read, I want you to go back and think of what you read in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Think about it just a little bit. Think about it just a little bit. And see if that doesn't make any sense. All of a sudden, it does. This book has a little more common sense in light of Proverbs. And Proverbs had a little more sense in connection with this book now. See, everybody wants to put this book, well, okay, if you want to spiritualize it into the New Testament church, as I said, the milk of the word. Okay. There you go. How does Jesus feed newborn babies? The milk of the word. He breastfeeds them with his paps. There you go. So if you want to spiritualize it, okay, we'll spiritualize it. At least Jesus is a healthy father and he's not going to go, his breasts aren't going to go dry. See, whether you like it or not, it is spiritual. And it is a physical thing, and there's nothing wrong with breastfeeding. Only to those who are snobs got their nose stuck in the air. It is a loving, intimate gesture between a husband and wife, and there's not a thing wrong with it. It's only disgusting to those who got the nothing to do but stick their nose in the air and sniff the devil's butt. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, now, the next love note is it's Solomon's turn. And this one will be found in chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. My beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. Yea, pleasant. Also our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. All right, if you notice this here, once again, this is just a basic love note, and we're not going to comment very long on just basic love notes. 
But the ones that really had to do with marriage or sex, we're really going to get into those. So this year is just, like I said, a basic love note from Solomon to her. Amen. Amen and amen. All right. Now our next text I want you to pay some attention to. It is found, it is found in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it goes all the way to chapter 3, verse 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 3, verse 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 3, and verse 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 3, and verse 11. I am the rose of Sharon, and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his, he feedeth among the lilies. Until the day break, and the shadows flee away, Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Betha. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness, like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all powders of the merchant? 
Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Threescore valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. He made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof of gold, the covering of it of purple, the midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals and in the day of the gladness of his heart. All right, now in these two sections, in this whole big section, do you notice something interesting? That she's saying to Solomon, this is her talking, she's saying in her love note that he skips upon the hills and upon the mountains. Now, she's not literally talking about literal mountains. This is figurative speech. Now, the Rose of Sharon, as we know in the figurative speech here, later the church took that on as talking about Jesus. Okay, we'll accept that, because that's who he is. Now, but when we're talking about Solomon and his beloved wife, now, what part of the body looks like mountains on a woman? Come on, Dr. Broadbottom. Let's play Jeopardy. Dumb, dumb, dumb. You're so dumb, dumb, dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. You're a dummy. It don't take rocket science. It's her breasts. So if he was skipping upon the hills and upon the mountains, where was his mouth and his head? Duh. It don't take rocket science to figure out sexually where his head was. It don't take a rocket science to figure that. And if you want to spiritualize this about the Rose of Sharon, uh, Jesus is telling us in the modern day church, where should our head be suckling spiritually and getting our spiritual breast milk? From Jesus. Okay, you want to spiritualize that into the modern day church? There you go. And getting the milk of the word. There you go. So uh, whether you like it or not, you can put that into the modern day church. And you can get that out of that. But the fact is, in the old, in the old, one of the books of the Bible, we do find adult breast feeding and it's right there and there was nothing wrong with it nor did God have a problem with it. Amen, amen, and amen.